0: T minus 10, nine, ignition sequence starts. Coming to you from a small, undisclosed outpost somewhere in Radioland, it's Because I Said So. Parenting advice with love and leadership from the nation's leading parenting expert, syndicated columnist, author, conference speaker, and the only psychologist to point out that psychology has caused more problems than it has solved for American parents john rosemond people like this are a menace to decent society call in now about anything from toddlers to teens even your 20-something toddlers who refuse to stop sucking on the pacifier of your standard of living let's not talk about it in front of the boy five four three two one zero all engine running lift off. we have a liftoff From American Family Radio Network, here's your host, John Rosemond.
1: Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show, whatever it might be, folks. Glad you could join us. Yes, I am John Rosemond, and the show indeed is called Because I Said So, which has multiple meanings. I'll let you figure that out. Uh, The number, if you'd like to call us with a question or a comment, is 404-419-6499. Or, if you're the shy sort, don't want to be on the air with me, that's okay. You can email your questions or comments to radio at rosemond.com. The subject of today's lessons is so-called parenting experts, who don't know what they're talking about. Most people of this ilk have credentials in various fields of mental health, psychology, clinical social work, family counseling, and in fact, so do I. In my case, the field is clinical psychology which I happen to believe has caused more problems for American parents than psychologists even know how to solve. Regular listeners to this program know that I sometimes like calling myself the anti-psychologist for that reason precisely. In my newspaper column, my books, and my public presentations, and now on this radio show, I often address the specifics of that charge. The laundry list is too long to cover in one segment of this program, so my focus today will be on the widely held belief disseminated by mental health professional propaganda that when a child misbehaves, a consequence must be immediately forthcoming. According to many experts, if a consequence or punishment is not delivered within a few minutes of the misbehavior in question, the child will not be able to make the mental connection between the misbehavior and the consequence. And apparently, this inability to make the mental connection is going to cause confusion and perhaps even, there's that word, trauma. Rubbish. That's what that is. It's pure, unmitigated rubbish hogwash and other words apply as well. Actually, there's a smidgen of truth to the idea, but no more than a smidgen. Indeed, because of their short attention spans, the interval between misbehavior and consequence must be fairly short with toddlers, two-year-olds, which is why you have to just overlook it with toddlers quite often. You just have to let it go by the boards because there really is nothing you can do about it right then and there. And if you try and do something later, the child is not at this age, two-year-olds, one-year-olds going to be able to connect misbehavior and consequence if there's a fairly long interval in between them. So you just cut your losses with children that age. But permanent memories begin to form and the research is very clear on this, around a child's third birthday. It's called language-based memory. It has nothing to do with when a child begins talking, which is usually 18, 24 months. I'm talking about language-based memory, which apparently forms the basis of permanent memories, which, again, begin to form around the third birthday, at which point parents can begin delaying consequences, stretching the interval, in other words, between a misbehavior and the delivery of a consequence. With a three-year-old, the misbehavior to consequence interval can be several hours but does not extend to the following day. If a misbehavior with a three-year-old occurs at 10 o'clock in the morning you can deliver a consequence for that misbehavior at 6 o'clock in the evening. And all you have to say for the child to make the connection is, because of what you did earlier today, and you describe what happened, and you describe the context very briefly, because when I told you to pick up your toys, you began throwing your toys at me and screaming, you are going to bed early this evening. For example, with children four, five, and six, the misbehavior to consequence interval can be as much as several days. By age seven or eight and going through age 10, the interval can be extended to a week. With children 11, 12, 13, several weeks, teenagers, months, husbands, years. In every case, When the consequence is deployed, all parents need to do is say, again, because of what you did and you specify what happened and when it happened, this is now happening. I am doing this. You're experiencing this. And the child in question will make the connection. For example, if a six-year-old engages in an act of defiance on Wednesday, remember with a six-year-old, I said, you've got several days. He will make the connection if told on Saturday that because of his previous insubordination, he's not going to a classmate's birthday party. Isn't this liberating? I mean, parents, they, they feel, today's parents, they have to do something right away. And because, folks, here's a fact, 80% of the time when a child misbehaves, there's nothing effective you can do about it right then and there. But the belief that you have to do something about it then and there drives a lot of very unproductive, dysfunctional parent behavior. Now you can just take a deep breath and file it. A teenager can be informed in June That because of a February experiment with juvenile delinquency, he's not going on vacation with his best friend's family. And yes, I am also saying that parents are under no obligation whatsoever, and this is very important, to inform a child of the specifics of a consequence before it's delivered. You are under no obligation whatsoever. I get this question a lot. Do we have to tell children, John, what's going to happen if they do such and such? No, you don't. You are under no obligation whatsoever to inform a child of the specifics of a consequence before it is delivered. Simply delay, then dispense. That's a neat formula, isn't it? Just simply delay then dispense. The element of surprise inherent to this approach greatly increases the deterrent effect. The element of surprise is what keeps children on their toes. Who is all too often on their toes in the parent-child relationship today, all together now? The parent is on his or her toes, not the child. It is high time that this was turned around. During a fit of peak, my 16-year-old daughter Amy threatened to leave the house without permission. I simply told her, you make your decisions, Amy, and then I will make mine. She stormed outside, at which point her best friend, knowing the score, reminded Amy that if she left, she would A, not know what I was going to do, and B, wouldn't know when I was going to do it. Amy promptly stormed back in and voluntarily confined herself to her room for the rest of the day, thus saving me the trouble. This is your host, John Roseman. The show is called Because I Said So, and I'll be back with your calls in a minute. Stay with us. Well, hello, and welcome back to the show. I'm your host, John Roseman. The show is Because I Said So, and we are exclusively carried on the American Family Radio Network. Um, We've got a caller from Ohio. His name is Mark. Mark, welcome to the show. What can I do for you?
2: Hello, John. Um, The thing that concerns me as a single Christian, I'm 54, I've never been married, never had kids, but I hear... From so many married couples saying they never have enough time to spend alone with the Lord in prayer and the Word, and I've tried to encourage people. I've tried to you know pray for them and and just stress to them that you must make time in your schedule uh, for God's Word and prayer. Not that God is saying you know spend time with me you know you know you must spend time with me, but He wants us to spend time with Him and not just for our own spiritual nourishment, but especially for our kids' sake, for the sake of the kids. Kids are leaving the church, some denominations, up to 90% of them leave church after high school, and I'm convinced because a lot of it is they really don't have a deep relationship with the Lord because they've never been taught that or seen it modeled, so to speak, from their parents. Um there's some very good preachers from the past and even from the recent past. Uh, Spurgeon said the ne- the neglect of the prayer closet and by that he meant the quiet time is the beginning of all spiritual decline. And Adrian Rogers said words to the effect that training up a child in the way he should go that carries the meaning that that carries in like the uh the original language is words to the effect of instill in them a hunger for the things of God. And so many of our young people do not have a hunger for the things of God. And sadly, I think it's because the parents don't have it themselves. And I know it, they're busy. I know they have things that they got to get done. But I think the root cause of why there's so much busyness is prayerlessness. And it's kind of like a catch-22. Well, how can I spend time in prayer if I haven't got any time? You know, what's the deal? And it's kind of like one of the fringe benefits of praying is that God does order your steps throughout the day. Like when you give to the Lord, God does give back to you more than you've given. And I believe one of the benefits of praying is God does structure your day so things do go smoothly. Not That's not to be our motive, but it's one of the benefits of praying. And I really believe that parenting in this country, I believe a lot of the root problems at in our families and with parent, parenting, is prayerlessness.
1: Well, you're absolutely right, Mark. And you know, you're uh, as you're talking. I'm thinking of a number of scriptures, uh, which I'm fairly certain you were thinking of too. Proverbs three five: uh, In in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct thy paths. Yeah. Uh, Ephesians six four. Which many people only quote in in the they only quote the first half of it and they miss the meaning in so doing. Um, fathers, do not exasperate your children, but instead, in other words, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And uh, Deuteronomy chapter six verses six and seven, which is God's first direct instruction to parents to impress these commandments upon your children. In other words, impress biblical values upon your children, which you're not going to be able to do unless you're familiar with Scripture, number one. Yeah. And number two, unless you spend time in prayer and spend time in reading Scripture, which is a form of prayer. And uh, so you're absolutely right. So I, I'm just curious, Mark, what what are your... You know, you sort of stand outside the... uh the parenting culture, and uh, you obviously have a lot of friends who are parents. What, what is your impression of what's going on in this regard? Why aren't parents taking the time to, uh, to be prayerful and read Scripture and maintain relationship with the Lord in, in, in those ways?
2: I think it goes back to what Jesus said when he talked about things that would choke the word. Uh he said, "Beware of the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches and the love of other things." And I think especially here in America, you know, I don't know where it came from, my my thought is it's probably a banker that thought up the phrase the American dream because banks benefit from people that pursue the American dream, and it's not that it's wrong to own a home or anything like that, but if pursuing the American dream in an, in a Christian's life um, cannot be brought under the subjection of four little words, "Thy will be done." Then you need to quit pursuing it. I mean, a lot of people have just gotten in over their head because they want a lot of stuff. They want a big house. They want, you know, a nice yard. They want to live in a nice neighborhood. And that's not that any of those things are wrong, but it's come at the expense of developing a relationship with God. And I think a lot of it is just a lot of it is just flat out priorities. Our priorities are out of whack and. It's like when, before the Israelites entered the land of Canaan, God said to them, when you go into the land of Canaan, and I bless you, do not forget me. I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what the Lord said, and I think with all the affluence and prosperity in this country that's gone on, now it's on shaky ground the past, you know, decade or so, but with all the prosperity that's gone on in this country, it's made us fat and sassy, so to speak, spiritually, and ironically, because of less time spent in the Word and prayer, really many people, not just married couples, of course, but many people in the church are spiritually malnourished because they're not spending time with the Lord. And the thing is, if you're not spending time, you don't really have tight-fitting armor, if any armor on at all, spiritually, and you're a sitting duck. You know, and it's just, I think a lot of it is just misplaced priorities. I think it's really simple, Uh, life's really not too complicated. People haven't changed in 6,000 years. And I think we've got, you know, just as much of a a propensity to forget God when things are going good as the Israelites did. But look what happened when you go to the book of Judges. That's right after they entered the land of Canaan, and look what happened. Everybody ended up doing what was right in their own eyes.
1: Well, you know, I I mean, you've you've really pegged it, the the busyness of today's families and it's almost, a, from my point of view, Mark, a compulsive sort of busyness that yes. uh, people, When when you talk to parents, as I do, about the number of commitments and child-oriented commitments, primarily the after-school activities, when you talk to parents about this, The impression that I get, anyway, is that parents don't feel like they have any control over this. They feel like it's bigger than they are. They're just swept up in it and carried along by the tide. And the idea that they can actually opt out of these activities is, it's never occurred to them.
2: Yeah, the the one thing I've thought to myself, I've never shared it with a parent because I don't want to get smacked, but I've thought, why do you do this? Why are you letting the kid dictate your schedule? It's like you don't have to.
1: I had a very interesting conversation along these lines with a friend of mine a few years ago. I asked him just, you know, how are you? How are you doing? We were having a phone conversation. He said, oh, man, all I'm doing is driving my kids from one activity to another. If it's not soccer, it's football. If it's not football, it's this, it's that, it's scouting, it's, you know. And I said, well, why are you doing this? And there was this pause. I guess I, you know, I, I was safe because I was on the phone and not face to face. And, and uh, there was this pause. And he said, well, I want my kids to learn to be team players. And I said, well, that, all that's well and good. But team number one is family. And your kids are learning how to play on a soccer team. They're learning how to play on a football team. They're learning how to play on a baseball team. But they're not learning to play in team family. You know, Mark, you, you mentioned earlier that things haven't changed, but they really have. I mean, when I was a kid, you came home from school, you did your homework, you changed your clothes, you did your chores, and you went back out to play. Yeah. And um your father came home from work, and he walked into the kitchen, and and he and your mother began having a conversation. They hadn't seen each other all day. Um, the kids did their thing until dinner time. The parents did their thing until dinner time. There was dinner time. There was conversation around the table. Uh, after dinner, everybody retired. It, maybe listened to a radio show or something like this. You know the the fa- I used to do a talk called the Frantic Family Syndrome, <laughs> and uh, in which I talked about the fact that people today are are so busy, and that all of this busyness, in the final analysis, is going to come to nothing. That all these kids are going to remember about childhood is is being driven from one place to another. I call it the come on hurry up we got to go family yeah and um you're I mean you're absolutely right and I you know what is the solution to this I mean you and I could sit here and we can say well these people need to make time for this they need to make time for prayer they need to make time to to immerse themselves in god's word they need to make time to uh, give biblical instruction to their children in the home and so on and so forth but you can say that to these people and they just sit there and go, well, but I'm just so busy. It's a, it's a form of idolatry. You know, it really yeah, is. It's a goodness. form, And, and I, you, you know, know, it's, it goes back to Joshua, you know, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Who are you serving? You know, who are you serving in your house? That's, that's the essential question. And it it, it is a form of idolatry. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and in that sense, nothing is new.
2: Um, I think parents need to do some soul searching, basically. They need to get along with the Lord at least, you know, once, at least like tonight after hearing this show and search their heart. And just if they feel that they need to repent, repent, you know, and just take one day at a time.
1: I tell you what, Mark, you sound like you're a man who prays well. We've got a minute and 19 seconds left. You want to give us a 30 second prayer for America's families in this regard?
2: Dear Lord, we come to you in Jesus' name and ask, Father, that you would convict of sin. We know that you don't condemn, but you convict. But we pray you would convict parents out there, all believers out there, that they need to spend more time with you in prayer if they're not doing so right now. We pray that you would sovereignly move heaven and earth so that their schedules can be arranged. And we just pray that they would return to their first love And we pray that everybody listening that is genuinely converted would do what you want them to do with their lives so that one day when they stand before you, they will hear the words, well done. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Perfect, Mark. Amen. And uh, that was a great call. And anytime you want to join the show, please give us a call. I really enjoyed talking to you. Sure. Good to be on. Thanks. God bless you. Have a great day. Bye. Folks, stay tuned. We'll be back with more Because I Said So. Stay with us.
0: From American Family Radio Network, it's Because I Said So. Now, once again, here's your host, John Rosemond.
1: Well, hello there, everybody, and welcome back to the show. For those of you who might want to join us with a question or a comment, our phone is 404, someone told me recently, don't say, oh, that's not correct, 404 419 Um, As some of you may have been able to tell, I'm dealing with a cold. I have been for a while, and I've had shots and taken antibiotics and decongestants, and uh, I just can't shake the thing. But um, otherwise, life is fine. We've got a caller on the line, Jennifer from Arkansas. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Glad you could join us. And what can I do for you?
3: Hi, Dr. Lisman. Thank you for um, having me.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Um, tell you what, tell you what, I'll call you Jennifer, you call me John. Will that will that work for you? Okay. All right, good. Sure. Okay.
3: Right. Um, I'm in, I think, a unique position because I had, my ex and I had joint custody of our three children, and it wasn't working. It was very high conflict and volatile, and um, the children are young, and... How young? Um... Five, eight, and ten, and the ten-year-old has a disability, special needs. Um,
1: what what sort of disabilities? What sort of special needs?
3: He has a rare genetic disorder called Williams syndrome.
1: And and how does that affect him?
3: Um, a number of ways medically, uh, intellectually, uh, developmentally. I sort of describe it as a combination of autism and down syndrome. All right. So developmentally,
1: how old is he? Is he five, four, what? Um,
3: Probably about five.
1: Okay. All right. I just wanted to get a, get a fix on that. All right, go ahead.
3: Mm So, um, so we moved after our divorce, we were living in Birmingham. We moved Mm -hmm. back to Arkansas where he has a lot of family and um, it just, it, like I said, it was volatile. I didn't have a job. I'd been a stay-at-home mom for ten years, and um, well, I was working a little bit as a contractor employee. Um, uh, he stopped paying child support. I my car was repossessed. You know, um, the kids were unhappy. I was unhappy. It was it was terrible, and I didn't have the money. I mean, to fight for full custody, he has a lawyer family member and the money to hire a a TV lawyer. So he had two lawyers and I had nothing. So I had to, you know, leave. And the only thing that made me feel okay about it was knowing that I didn't feel it was in their best interest um, for us to have joint custody. And, you know, it was just, it was, it was hard
1: on them. Well, you know something. I, I've never approved of joint custody anyway. I think this is the new legally correct, is what I call it, way to do things, and um, it is supposed. You know, it's it, it's egalitarian uh-huh. to split the custody between the two parents, but in the first place, I think it deprives children of a stable. A situation, a life situation, a living situation that is as stable as possible. Uh-huh. And two, uh-huh. it uh, almost invariably leads to a lot of conflict between the parents, not always, but
2: uh-huh. but
1: more often than not. So, oh, yes. you know, I mean, under the circumstances, Jennifer, it sounds like you made a rational decision, not an, a, a decision that was emotionally driven even though there are certainly emotional variables involved. But it sounds mm-hmm. like you made a rational decision. What can I help you with?
3: Well, I, you know, I get accused of abandoning the children and, you know, all kinds well, of things Well, but, but that's like that. that's
1: the prejudice in today's society is that, you know, it's okay for the father to say, well, the kids really needed to be with their mother more than me and there was a lot of conflict, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the fact mm-hmm. of the matter is that if a man says something like that and says, mm-hmm. so anyway, for the time being, I get, you know, I gave the kids to their, to their mother and and, she, and she's doing a fine job and, and um, everything is more peaceful with me out of the picture temporarily. No, nobody's going to think worse of the guy. But if a woman does this, you know, immediately, you know, you you draw down a lot of uh, social scorn and, and criticism. Uh-huh. Yeah,
3: absolutely. Well, and so now I'm trying to to move back there. You know, I've been visiting from out of state. I've been, you know, I have a job. I've been working and
1: move back where?
3: Back to Arkansas. Where they are? I, I, yes. Okay. Where they are? Where are
1: and, you right now? I thought you were in Arkansas.
3: Well, I I was in Arkansas last week, but, um, I've been, I, when I moved back, when I left Arkansas last winter, when things were so bad with the children and the living situation, I came back to Birmingham to stay with a friend where I didn't have to pay rent. You know, I, I had lost everything.
1: I gotcha.
3: So now I have a job and, um, I work remotely so I can feasibly move back to the area to be near the kids and have a regular visitation. Okay. Um, so I've been there and trying to find a place and, uh, the kids have been staying with me on the visitation weekends, on on the week, uh, in hotel, which is fine. They have fun. And, um, however, my, my ex, we weren't able to meet at, uh, where I would pick them up from school, so we had to see each other. And, you know, he said that he was going to have police escort. And I just...
1: A police escort? Think... Are are you a dangerous person?
3: Well, I'm certainly not perfect, but no, I haven't abused him physically. I haven't...
1: Have you, you know, threatened I just... him? I mean, do, do, do you have a no. concealed carry permit? Has he got reason to believe that you're going to do him harm?
3: I threw a Sprite at him
1: once. <laughs> Sorry to laugh. but
3: <laughs> in, No, it was in front of the kids.
1: It oh, my goodness.
3: So it All right. Like so terrible. this is. There, um, there's
1: been some drama and the kids have seen drama. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. All right.
3: And so I don't. I don't want them to be subjected to police involvement.
1: You you two, it's safe to say that you and your ex-husband, you bring out the worst in each other.
3: It does seem that way.
1: Okay. Well, I'm not sure that a police escort is a rational thing, but uh, so be it. He's okay.
3: So just go with it and say that that's fine. The kids will...
1: Well, I don't know that it affects you that he has a police escort. He's got a police escort. So what? You know, I mean, that doesn't have to alter your behavior. This is when you exchange the children, right? Right. Okay. So he's going to bring the children to where you are with a police escort. Right. Okay. So the kids get in your car and drive off.
3: Okay,
1: and the police go their way, and your husband, ex husband, goes his way. I, I don't see any problem with that, although it seems now from my point of view. I don't know all the particulars of the story, Jennifer, but it seems a little bit, you know, uh, outrageous. Extreme. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Well, the other thing that I, you know, wanted to talk to you about is last week I went to have lunch at school with my one of my sons and he was complaining about his eyes itching they were red and we went and saw the school nurse and um she said he should probably go be seen by the doctor and so i was going to check him out and take him to be seen by the doctor and apparently there is an alert i can't ch- check him out i can't even take my son to the doctor so
1: okay you you don't have you can't take him to the doctor without your ex-husband's permission because he has primary custody. Yeah, that's
3: okay. hard to accept.
1: All right. Do you have any legal documents saying that you have visitation, or is this just an informal arrangement between the two of you?
3: No, we have formal documentation.
1: Okay. All right. Well, obviously, you know, the the uh, documentation uh, specifies that uh, you don't have any control over their health care, that he has total control. And therefore, Mm -hmm. if you want to take one of the children to the doctor, during your visitation, you're going to have to check in with him. That's just a reality Mm -hmm. of the situation.
3: Well, they did check in with him, and he did say no. And so I guess I just have to accept that. Um You know, and my my last, I mean, I, of course, have lots of concerns, but my last concern is um, that of my oldest son with special needs. He um, he has a really hard time with not seeing me, and he says, I want to stay with mommy, no more daddy, I want to stay with mommy for 99 nights, and um, it's so hard for him to understand, and uh, he... He
1: needs, like, I have always been his advocate and his, you know, his. Wow, Jennifer, I, I, you know, I don't know that there's any problems that I can solve for you here, sweetheart. I would love to be able to say, you know, here here's my ideas about the situation. But I am, mm. I used to do a lot of custody evaluations and uh, I stopped doing them because of the uh, the the risk the legal risk involved. People just you know were getting more and more upset when you didn't rule in their favor. And mm-hmm. um, I'm very familiar with court orders concerning custody and visitation. and sweetheart, mm-hmm. um, I you know it, the 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 solution to this it seems to me is for you and your ex to go and get some uh, counseling, and if you're both believers, I would strongly recommend Christian counseling. Is he a believer?
3: He is.
1: Well, the two of you, it it sounds to me like you know the two of you need to get back in touch with your your belief systems here, and go get some counseling from a pastor. Um, the uh, The damage being done in this situation is being done to the children. I mean, it, it is outrageous for a child to remember, for example, when he's 20 years old, that when he was, you know, transferred on days when mom was getting visitation, that there was a police escort and things like this. Jennifer, we're, we're coming up on a hard break here, sweetheart, and, and I, I really feel like it's unfair to just kind of leave you hanging out there with this. Um, I, I know how important this is to you, your kids, so... Um, How about this? Stay on the line through the break, and we'll talk some more about this when we come back. Is that okay with you? Okay. All right, folks. We'll stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. The show is Because I Said So. I'm your host, John Roseman, 404-419-6499, and we're on the American Family Radio Network. Back in a few Hey, folks, your host, John Roseman here. The show is called Because I Said So on the American Family Radio Network. And we've got Jennifer on the line. She was with us in the last segment to bring those of you who may have just joined us up to speed. And Jennifer is having some custody and visitation issues with her ex-husband. She's got three children, five. Tell me again, Jennifer, they are five Five, eight, and ten. Five, eight, and ten, and what? Two boys and a girl, or what? That's
3: right. Mm-hmm.
1: Two boys and a girl. Okay. Yes. And you were saying something to me during the break about uh, mm-hmm. an unjust system, and I, I you know, I, mm-hmm. I'd like to hear more about that. More of your feelings about that.
3: Well, I. Any lawyer I've paid maybe a total over the past few years of six thousand dollars. He has paid up. I think around forty thousand. And it seems to be a family court is a business. It's not uh, about family so much as it's about making money. And, you know, lawyers are unwilling to even return my call because they know my situation. They know I don't have money. They know I don't have any source of family money.
1: Well, you've you've picked up on something that's very, very accurate and very, very unfortunate Uh, as I was saying before the break, I I used to do a lot of custody evaluations and I used to testify in court a great deal. And, um, I observed exactly the same thing that it, it was almost inevitable that the lawyer who was the more expensive lawyer, who was the more high powered lawyer, uh, was the guy who prevailed in court. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it was a battle of bank accounts is what it turned mm-hmm. out to be in the final analysis. Uh, mm-hmm. So you're certainly on to something there.
3: How is that okay? Um, these are our kids that we're talking well, about. Well, it's
1: not okay, but there's no point in us talking about it because we're not going to change mm-hmm. anything about that, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, let me let me put this into a little perspective for you and our listeners, and that is that my parents were divorced when I was about 3 years old. Mm-hmm. I didn't see my father again until I was 9 years old and then didn't see him again until I was 11 years old, and I really don't feel that even though my my mother my mother loathed the ground my father walked on. I mean, and I don't I I can have some appreciation for that. He was rather a scoundrel, but the the extent of her emotions toward him was a little over the top. Um, Mm -hmm. My father had a very neutral opinion concerning my mother. You know, if I would bring up something my mother had said, he would say, well, that's just your mother, kiddo. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, Never commented on anything that I brought up in that regard, which I respect him a lot for. But Mm -hmm. I'm telling you the story because the... The uh, the standard um, belief, if you will, in the mental health community is that the kind of situation that you're in with your children is going to be very harmful. You know, they're going to have to have therapy when they're older. And I- I'm just not sure of that at all. I mean, the-, the fact of the matter is that there's too many variables involved in a situation like this to really predict mm-hmm. the outcome to the children. Um, my childhood... Uh, was an interesting childhood. And um, it uh, was, for the most part, a happy childhood. I went to live with my dad when I was 15 years old and discovered after going to live with him that the grass was only greener on the other side of the fence if you were on the other side of the fence. <laughs> and when you when you got over to where you thought the grass was greener, suddenly it wasn't as green as you thought it was. And right. um, So, you know... Uh, uh, it's unfortunate that you and your husband are not your ex husband. I keep calling him your husband, your ex husband. Uh, that there's so much uh, and te- uh, you know negative feelings on his part toward you. Well, um, oh, and it,
3: my part with him. We we both yeah. Oh, we...
1: your part with him. Well, then you know I would suggest that you suggest that the two of you go to a pastor. And get some counseling, I mean, some biblical counseling about this, because That's if you are both, if, what's that?
3: That's good advice. If he would be willing to do that, I would definitely do that.
1: Is he a committed believer? Y- yes. Well, then why wouldn't he be willing to do that? That—that That is That's what the, believers ought to do, is, is in situations like this where they can't figure out, something out that's this important is go get some biblical counseling, you know, go get mm-hmm. some direction from somebody who can use God's word as a roadmap for them.
2: Yes.
3: Good, exactly. Um hey, I have I have one one more quick question and that right is ahead. I feel I feel like this could be used as an opportunity for us my ex and I to each have some one-on-one time with our children outside of the standard visitation. When we get to that place, um, I, you know, with three kids, you're always juggling. Nobody gets any individual attention, you know? Um, so do you think that's a good idea or a bad idea? Because I would enjoy it. Is it, would it be okay to have one of the kids for an evening? You know, um, he seems unwilling And it may just be timing, but he seems unwilling to want. He's like either take all three or none.
1: Well, it sounds to me, Jennifer, as though anything you want, he is going to oppose. You're right. Yeah. And and uh, this is just, you know, he he seizes upon these situations to express his anger toward you. Right. And um all you know, uh, <laughs> I just keep getting reinforced in my belief that what the two of you need to do is seek some Christian counseling, some biblical counseling. But be aware in this regard that uh don't see a Christian psychologist. Don't go okay. in that direction. Okay. I have said that before on this show. I am a psychologist, I am a Christian, I am not a Christian psychologist. It is impossible to reconcile a psychological worldview with a Christian (laughs) worldview. They are antithetical, they are opposed to one another, and people who call themselves Christian psychologists are psychologists in sheep's clothing. Uh, Go Uh see someone who is a biblical counselor, If you want to write this word down, newthetic, N-O-U-T-H-E-T-I-C, N-O-U-T-H-E-T-I-C, a newthetic or biblical counselor, that is the only type of person I recommend for anybody in any situation, but especially in a situation like this. Um, You You go to somebody else, and you're going to get a lot of psychobabble from them. As far as you know, wanting to visit with one child, yeah, I think that's, I mean, I think that's great. I mean, it it, uh, makes perfect common sense. Uh, I, uh, my wife and I had two children, and there were times when I would spend time with just my son, and there were times when I would spend time with just my daughter, and my wife would do the same thing. And I think if you're divorced, that's an ideal situation because. It's the kind of thing that's normal. It's the normal mm-hmm. sort of thing that would happen if the two of you were still married, there wouldn't you wouldn't be with all three children all of the time that you were with the kids. And uh, so yeah, I I think that's a great idea, but you know, your husband says no and he's apparently the final word on the subject.
3: He is. That's right. Well, do you have any resources for um, different areas where we might be able to get um, counseling or is this just something I should research on my own?
1: Well, the first thing I would do is go to, in your community, uh, do you have a church in Fayetteville?
3: I haven't established one, but I know the one I want to but it would be different than his, and so then there would probably be conflict there. But well, let, I him, let, him choose.
1: Let, him, let him choose the counselor. I mean, you know, see see if that'll work out. I, but you can tell him what I said, you know, that, you know, we should see a biblical counselor. We should see somebody who practices new-thetically. Mm-hmm. Uh, share with him what I've said. And, uh, you know, Jennifer, during this conversation, I've tried not to take sides— and uh, but it sounds like he's a very angry guy, and uh, I I have no idea why he's so angry. We don't have time to go into that. But the uh, uh, what I would do is share with him what I've said, and see okay. if he will agree to seeking out counseling from a person who is grounded in the Word and and counsels from Scripture and not from the basis of bogus psychological theory.
3: Great, great yeah. advice and I don't know like if I would have ever come to that, you know. I and I really hope that he will agree and that we can make this work. Go um, to the
1: go to the pastor of the church that you want to go to see if he can give you some names. Tell your husband to do the same thing. Maybe the okay. same name or names will show up on both lists and go to one of those people, you know.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay.
1: Jennifer, thanks a lot. I wish I could be more helpful, but, uh, you know. No, the, you, were, you were very
3: helpful.
1: Well, good. I'm glad. It. I'm really glad. I, God bless you, and uh, and God bless everything that you do in this in this situation. I hope things work out for you. Thank you. Folks, this is John Rosemond. I'm your host on Because I Said So. I occasionally make reference to my various books on the program, including my latest, Grandma Was Right After All, in which I seek to recover grandma's wisdom, her parenting wisdom, by resurrecting her very pithy parenting aphorisms of the 1950s and before. More information is available on my website at johnroseman.com. Next week, make plans to join us again at the same time, 5 o'clock Central on Saturday afternoon. Why? Because I said so. From Creative Genius Productions and the American Family Radio Network.